let's turn together to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. As you turn there, let me uh, kind of make a somewhat of an announcement, I guess. I guess it's an announcement. Um, the One of the difficult things about uh, living in our day and age is how, like, it's everybody's very busy, the weekends get very packed in, scheduling is very difficult, and um, and so from a church standpoint, we're, we try and keep the calendar pretty light, uh, except for things that are very necessary and stuff like that, and at the end tonight, we'll talk about the next few weeks and some things that are coming up, but um, one thing that's sometimes difficult to schedule are membership classes, and uh, when, uh, a lot of times, we'll, you know, we could say, our next membership class is going to be at this time, and then if it doesn't fit for you, you might not be able to come till, for months and stuff like that. So what we typically do when it comes to people who are wanting to become members of this congregation and join is we'll kind of throw out a net and say, if you are interested and you want to come to our next class, email the staff, and then we get all those people together and we try to figure out a time that it, where everybody's schedules overlap. So instead of saying, this is when the next one's going to be, uh, the announcement is that we're trying to schedule one, and so if you are interested and you would you want to be a part of it, email staff at ringcommunity.org. Uh, that'll come to us, and we'll start to basically start an email thread to try and schedule the next uh, membership class and stuff. And we're going to try to make that a more regular thing that we offer. Uh, a lot of times people don't, you know, they don't really see why, you know, like why join a church, why be a member of something, and um, you know, there's a, a number of different reasons, and that's not what tonight is about. But what we're going to talk about tonight makes membership uh, even more important to us. Uh, to give us a committed group of people that we are a part of. Uh, we're committed to the group. The group is committed to us. In our pursuit of some very, of what we as Christians believe to be the most important things in life together. And so to join into that is to enter into a covenant relationship, you know, saying that this is how we're going to agree to live together, and it provides uh, support, it provides fellowship, it provides accountability, it provides uh, all the things that God says we need in living in community together. And so when you make a commitment and join, it's more than just a name on a roll, that kind of thing. So if you uh, would be interested in just coming to our next class, which is really... um, we just kind of lay every, all our cards on the table about our church and how we, how we function, what we believe, how we make decisions, all the kind of stuff that you wouldn't know just coming on a Sunday or being in a group, a community group, those kinds of things. Sort of a backstage pass uh, to help you make a prayerful and informed decision about that. So if that's you and you want to be a part of that, email in and we'll uh, get that ball rolling. So, um, so Isaiah 53 is where we're going to camp out for the next four Sundays. And it seems to me like the, uh, really this year in 2014, God has had us talking about some things uh, that are, are like a, kind of more of like a corporate, like things that we need to mature in, you know. So we started off during our 30 days of prayer, we talked about conflict resolution. And I feel like like the Lord, I, I kind of feel like he looked at our congregation and said, by and large, you guys are not good at this. And you need to be. There's no reason to be bad at this. And so for a couple of weeks, we kind of just sat in those ideas and just how to handle those relational tensions that exist in a way that is uh, like from the Lord and that kind of stuff. So I, I feel like with that series, he was like, y'all are not good at this and you know it and we all know it. So let's 
let's grow and mature in that. Then we went to uh, a series on discipleship, and uh, I think in that, the more the vibe was, uh, I think the Lord was looking at us and saying, okay, you're, you're, ready, you're ready to mature in this. You're ready to get into the yoke with one another and teach and learn. Uh, you may not feel that you're ready, but I feel that you're ready. And so that was kind of, I think, a push forward in that, in that area. And so I feel like this, the next couple weeks are going to be another like, kind of similar thing where I feel like the Lord is going to kind of give some like, blanket teaching to all of us. That certainly will apply in varying degrees, but in general, I, th- I think this is going to be both a personal message and a corporate message as well from him. Um, and I really think it, a lot of it comes down to, to the fact that, that we as a congregation, um, I think we could mature and grow in our, um, in our dealing with sin uh, in our own lives. Uh, that, which is not to say that we don't deal with it, you know, at all, but I really believe that the Lord wants us as the Ring Community Church to, to be the kind of family that doesn't just put up with it, you know, that doesn't just look the other way, that doesn't see sin and sinful patterns and those kind of things as, as an annoyance, you know, or something that's regrettable, but, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. And I think that, um, that some of this is a little bit of like recoil from uh, from how grace centered our beliefs are here at the ring. Um, if you if you're here for the first time, this th- you wouldn't have a way a, a point of reference for this. But if you've been around for a while, you know that that the things that we teach both you know here on Sundays and in our groups and in our interactions with each other one on one and those kind of things. It's very much uh, focused on the the grace of the Lord, the goodness, His goodness toward us, a new identity that He's given us. That we are no longer sinners, but now we are saints. Uh, the fact that He has removed our heart of stone, uh, as the Bible tells us, that heart of stone that was uh, so calloused because of sin, He's taken that out of us, and He's given us a heart of flesh. Uh, he has freed us from bondage to sin, and now we're living in freedom, both freedom to choose sin again, and, uh, but more importantly, freedom to follow him in obedience and holiness. And there's, there's a lot of grace in how we deal with each other, and I believe that God has shaped us that way on purpose. Uh, the, you know, to, to live in a community where, we're, where you're constantly either telling people or you're hearing, like, hey, God's not mad at you. You know, God has not turned his back on you because you've had a bad couple of days. You know, um, God, it, it's, you don't have to earn his love and earn his approval. Jesus took care of that already. Uh, when you, when that is like a, just such a, a major point of teaching in a community, that it's very powerful and there's going to be some recoil. You know, it's like uh, when you shoot a BB gun, it doesn't really kick back at you, you know. But when you shoot a rifle, you know, or you shoot a cannon, it, it, there's a ton of recoil with it. So the powerful message of grace is it's like, it's like the, a cannon on a big warship, you know. When they, when they shoot, the whole sucker moves, you know, and that's what happens. That there is a recoil from a powerful message of grace. And I think that if we're not careful, that recoil can take the form of sin not being that big of a deal. Because it's already dealt with, you know. You know, like we... 
we get stuck in some of those patterns, we make some of those decisions, and then it's kind of like, oh, it's no big deal. Jesus died for that, so uh, all good, you know. I think that's a dangerous place for us to be, that we have to be able to hold intention together the grace and goodness and forgiveness and unconditional love of the Lord, but also the weight and the heaviness of our sin. I think that if we're not careful, sin could be something that we that we're bothered by a little bit, that we regret, but, we, but we're not grieved, you know? There isn't a heaviness that's there. There isn't a brokenness that comes. Uh, there, it's just very easy to dismiss it just because we know it's been taken care of. And I, I think when I say hold these things in tension, I think we have to understand that they, they impact each other, you know? That, that when, when sin occurs in our lives, when we... Um, We'll look at this verse in a, in a second. Uh, when we choose our own way, that has an impact that's tied to grace. You know, I was thinking, trying to think of a good analogy, and this is the only one I could think of. Maybe it's not good, but maybe it is. Uh, it, like the like the weight of our sin and the and the power of the grace of God at work in our lives. It's like two big chunks of concrete that are chained together and dropped in the ocean. You know. The, the, the more depth that comes with one, the more depth that comes with the other. You know, they're constantly pulling each other deeper. So when, when we are completely, like, broken over our sin and the depths of that, uh, the depths of his grace that cover that, we, we learn that as well together. Um, I think the danger comes when we only focus on the grace and we don't really look at the sin side of it. And they're meant to complement each other in our love and in our understanding of who God is and what he has done. And so I, I, I don't like to make like blanket things and say like, we're terrible at this, except for conflict resolution. I felt pretty confident that I could say like, we're not good at this. And everybody's like, yes, you're right. Uh, discipleship, I, I felt like the blanket statement was like, we're ready for this. And I think everybody's like, yeah, I think we are ready for this. I think the blanket statement here is we, we can all grow and our brokenness over, over the sins that we continue to commit. Uh, we, we can deepen our uh, grief over those sins and at the same time understand and hold in tension the depths of his grace that have covered those things. Um, as we get closer to, to Easter, that's a part of why we're going to do this for the next few weeks going toward Lent. I believe that this will have a direct impact on our worship as we celebrate the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord that has covered all these things. And I believe that this is going to help us love him more with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength. So uh, Isaiah 53 is where we're going to be for the next few weeks. The, uh, the ESV study Bible um, kind of breaks this chapter down into four sections. And so last year during Lent, I took those four sections and just kind of, that was the, what our community groups did for a couple weeks. And I've just taken the, that community group material and put it into sermon format. So if some of this sounds familiar, that's why, because it's, it should hopefully sound familiar, uh, but that's what we're going to do. So we're just going to look at the first three verses tonight. Um, Isaiah is uh, is an Old Testament prophet. He lived uh, around like 700 BC, and you can take the book of Isaiah and break it into like th- kind of three big sections. This middle section of the book, he's he's prophesying uh, about things that are going to happen 200 years later. And so his audience here are people who have been, uh, or it's the Jewish community who have been conquered and driven into exile in Babylon. And so he's writing and prophesying to people who are not real happy 
with that. And they've lost everything. They've lost their identity, and they feel like God has abandoned them. And the first part of the book is really, he's talking to his modern-day folks, and he's like, you're going to be rebellious, and you're going to, like, you know the right things to do, and you continue to choose otherwise, and God's going to deal with that. In this middle section, he's addressing people who have been rebellious, and, like, everything has come true. So what does God have to say to you, you know? What does God have to say to rebellious people? And chapter 53 fits into that middle section and, and saying this is specifically what God, that this is his intentions and what's going to happen and how he's going to interact with people who continue to say, I know better than you do. So when we're looking at the weight of our sin, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, verse 6 in this chapter, it, it compares us to sheep who are, have strayed off and we've chosen our own way, chosen our own path. And that's what it is. How, does God, how is he going to deal with people who continue to choose their own path and say, I know, I know better than you? And that's what we're going to unpack for the next few weeks. So look at verse 1. Uh, I'm not going to have like a bunch of organized points and stuff like that. We're just going to kind of go verse by verse and just break things down uh, a little bit. So look at, look at verse 1 in chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not." Go back to verse 1. These are some rhetorical questions that are being asked. Who, who has believed what he's heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Uh, that's basically saying, who, who has believed our message? So the hour in this, like these are the, like the faithful, you know. Who has believed the, the voice of the prophets? Who have believed the faithful remnant of Israel? Who has believed the message about the Lord? And then, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's a, that's a creative Hebrew way of basically saying, who's, who's seen the power of God in, in, like at work? Who's seen God do stuff among us? Um, and when you read the rest of the chapter, the, the answer is it's very clear that basically nobody, you know? That there's been a rejection of the message of God, of God himself, and that has, has led to uh, not seeing God move among them very much. That really nobody's, nobody's believed, no one understands, no one wants it. And there's this general rejection of God's message and just a rebellion against him. Uh, and I think, I think for our purposes, I think you can, we can bring this into today as well. That there is a rejection of the message of God, of the gospel, of the kingdom of God that's come through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness and grace that he offers us, uh, what it means to live inside the kingdom now, not just in a future sense, all the, all, everything about the gospel, um, there's a rejection of that message that we see. And I think, you know, we, if you go biblically, there's two categories of people. There are people who are, are um, in Christ, and there are people who are in Adam. People who are in Adam are folks who like all of us who were born into sin and separate from God. That's, that's how, uh, that's the condition all of us were born into. 
in the bloodline of Adam going all the way back to Genesis. And um, so there's billions and billions of people in the world who are, who are in Adam. Uh, and then there are people who are in Christ. And so when you become a Christian and you, you recognize that Jesus is the Savior that has come to save us from sin and death, that he uh, died as a substitute for us and uh, invites us into his kingdom, into his life to share be, through that forgiveness to share in life, um, eternal life of complete freedom and goodness, uh, that's when you're considered in Christ, that he's taken you out of that bloodline of Adam and brought you into his family and so you're in Christ. And so we can put everybody in the planet is in one of those two camps. And I believe it's fair to say that God is the only one who knows for sure uh, like how that, how that really works. If you look at the camp of people who are in Adam, I think... You, I think we could break that camp into three smaller camps, right? There's people who have never heard the gospel. Never, I mean, not a Bible, don't know who Jesus is, whatever. And there are billions of people on our planet who really, they really haven't heard the gospel. They are not born in places where that's accessible. They aren't in places where missionaries and the church has, has been able to effectively bring the gospel yet. All those things are plenty of people who've never heard. Then there are some people who've, they've heard the gospel, but they haven't heard it presented accurately. And so the folks who've never heard, they naturally reject God because that's what, means, that's what it means to be born in Adam. You're separate from him. So there's this natural rejection. Um, the ones who've heard the gospel, but it hasn't been accurate, they're pushing away from it because they're like, I, that's not what I want. And then there are people who have heard the gospel presented just, I mean, it's pristine. It's precise. It's exactly what Jesus says. And they've just said, I don't want anything to do with that. I mean, Jesus himself, uh, it, it says, uh, gosh, I can't remember where it is now. But in one of the, one of the gospels, before he ascends, there are these people that show up and they, they followed him. They watched him die. They watched him be like raised from the dead. There he's right in front of them. And some of them worshiped him and some of them walked away. So even the resurrected Jesus standing in front of them with nail scars in his hands, and they're like, oh, I'm still not convinced about that, you know? That there are people who hear the gospel and it's accurate, and they say, I don't want anything to do with it. In all three of those subcamps, this rejection and rebellion against God's message to them, um, there's, it's very easy for us to have a lot of like be stirred up and have a big heart for the people who've never heard. To also have a heart for the people who've, they've just heard it put accurately. Uh, I mean, they haven't, com- ah, haven't seen it, heard it communicated accurately. We kind of have a heart for them, like, oh, if they only knew. And then the people who've heard it accurately, but they don't want anything to do with it, it's very easy for people who are in Christ to say, how could you say no to Jesus? You know? How could you reject our Savior with that kind of forgiveness and grace and goodness and love, how could you reject him? And let's, let's make sure we're telling people accurately for this group that's heard it wrong. And then the ones who haven't heard, we need to go and, and go for it and pursue them. And I, I understand that, like, in each of those little camps, how it's easy to, um, to have a lot of, of compassion for those who've never heard and to kind of judge the ones who've pushed away and say, how dare you, you know, why would you say no to this? And there are probably some folks who are in this room who are in this camp. Like you, you aren't a Christian. Maybe you are 
Maybe you've never heard. Maybe you've kind of heard different things, but you're not sure. Maybe you, you know, whatever. Uh, you aren't sure where you stand. And I would just encourage you, you don't have to leave with questions. There are plenty of folks here who would love to uh, just sit down and talk, you know. We're not here to convince anybody of anything. That's God's job. He doesn't need us to defend him or whatever. But we'd be happy to sit down and answer questions and talk and pray. And You don't have to wonder, in other words. But I know that um, most church gatherings, uh, especially here in the Deep South, are probably, probably uh, most of us are in this other camp over here of being in Christ. And it's real easy for those of us who are Christians to look at people who aren't Christians and be like, how could you reject him? The reality is, in our own lives, there's a lot of rejection that happens too. There's a lot of pushing away. There's a lot of verse one happening. A lot of saying, no, I think I know better. I think I'm going to choose my own path. And so this, this particular verse, who has believed what he's heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Uh, we may not think of sin in this way, but I think this is a part of what God is going to stir in us over the next couple of weeks, is seeing it as rejection of Jesus. When we say, no, I, I know that this is obedient, what obedience looks like, but I'm going to do this instead. That when we do that, we are rejecting our Lord. That we're rejecting him just like people in some of these other, on the other side over here. You know? So when we think about sin as like, oh, that's really a bummer that that happened, or I wish I could stop doing this or feeling this way or whatever. I, I wish that God would just take this away and whatever. No, we're choosing our own way, and when we do it, when we do that, we're hiding our face from him, and we're saying, I don't want anything to do with Jesus in this because I know best. And I think we need to mature in, our, in, our, in the way we think about sin and view sin and approach sin and deal with sin and see it as a rejection of Jesus. Um, which I know is not, I know it's not like, that's not light and not happy. And uh, it's not fun to preach. Somebody asked me yesterday if I was excited about Isaiah 53. I was like, no, I'm really not. I'm kind of not at all excited about preaching it because of, it's so convicting to have to stand here and bring a message like this and apply it in my own life and, and have weeks leading up to this of having to just know that this is coming, this is coming and just being confronted over and over again in my personal life and realizing, like, no, like, when, when I turn to my own way, I'm also, I'm also looking at Jesus and saying, I don't want anything to do with you right now. That should bring a heaviness. It should bring, there should be a burden, you know. It should, it should, there should be a weight that that carries with us. Um, so uh, we should be very slow to um, judge people for rejecting Jesus, when we who are in Christ, who know him, we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, when we can do the same things very easily. Look at verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. Okay, so a young plant, what, what's impressive about a young plant? Nothing. Right? Absolutely nothing. A root out of dry ground that a root doesn't, it doesn't fit in dry ground, right? Like it doesn't, doesn't make sense. And that's some of what he's saying is like, Jesus, Jesus didn't really fit in. Next part, uh, 
He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He didn't fit any of the categories that we have in, in our like worldly sense of uh, what we would consider someone who's like an impressive person. You know? We have all these expectations that we would place on um, leaders and people of prominence and especially uh, in like in the like Jewish faith, like God's going to send like a redeemer who's going to fix everything. And I think in a worldly sense, you'd probably be like, well, he's probably going to be like tall and good looking, right? And here's the Bible saying like, no, not, he's not an impressive guy. He didn't really fit in. And the, you know, the Son of God movie that's come out recently and like one of the big things is like, Jesus is too handsome in this movie, you know? A lot of people are like, oh, don't worry about that, you know. It's like, well, this verse says that he probably wasn't, I mean, he was, who knows. There's nothing impressive about him. So maybe he was handsome, maybe he wasn't handsome, who cares, right? That culturally, he just, he didn't meet the expectations, he didn't fit in, but it really isn't about was he good looking or not, was he tall or was he short, was he this or was he this or this, it's really not about those things, that there's a, there's something deeper that's going on. There was some, something more that caused people to be like, I don't really want anything to do with this guy. This prophecy was, was saying like, hey, this guy's not going to fit in. Socially, politically, um, he's, just, he's not going to be a match for what you're expecting. There's going to be something about him that's going to make people push away. Um, Look at the third verse. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So we've probably all seen, we've seen movies like Son of God or or any of those Bible movies we've um, probably living in the South, at some point you've been to like an Easter pageant or a Christmas pageant or something like that, and um, we've seen these things like acted out and whatever, and they're always, they're very powerful, and they're, I'm not knocking any of that kind of stuff. But I do think that when, when we go to those things and we get very stirred up about it, uh, it's easy for us to, uh, to lose sight of what chapters like this are saying. That Jesus was, he was popular uh, he was also like very unpopular. That people would follow him and then they would start to hear his message and they're like, oh, psh, I don't think so. That at times he had, you know, this mass of followers and then other times it was just nobody. Like they were always kind of coming and going that, that he wasn't beloved, you know, like he wasn't, um, he wasn't a celebrity in, in that kind of sense. That there was something going on where people wanted to get close to him, and then when they got close to him and they heard the message, they were like, oh, absolutely not. Why do I want that? And I think, to go back to like the folks who are, are in Adam over here, the, the camp of people who hear the accurate gospel and want nothing to do with it, I think that there's a lot, a lot more of that that went on then and continues to go on now, that, that there's something about being an American and going to church and stuff that kind of all fits together nice and, and neat, and, but you start going and you start reading the Bible and hearing what's going on. You're like, wait a second, this is more than just ethics and morality and um, 
just something to make me feel better. There's something, there's something more going on. Uh, several years ago, and you've probably heard me talk about this before, there's a big study that was done, I think I've talked about it not too long ago, actually. Uh, big study done of, of church kids in America to try to come up with their worldview uh, and their, um, their definition, their understanding of, of who God is and stuff like that. And they, they came away with uh, kids involved in youth groups in their high schools, their view of God was coming down to therapeutic moralistic deism. So therapeutic, meaning God, like being involved in church, it just makes me feel better, you know. It's soothing to me. It helps me uh, feel like, a, you know, like it's, it's emotionally stabilizing for me to go to church and hear the songs and be a part of something. It's just very peaceful and helps me throughout the week, you know. Um, so therapeutic, moralistic, meaning that um, God helps me, he just helps me be a better citizen, you know, more moral, more ethical, just a better, a better person, uh, that kind of stuff. And deism uh, is... Basically, in a nutshell, it's saying like God, God is not directly involved in our lives, like in a moment by moment, daily basis. That that it's it's like a like a clock or a watch that God like wound up. That's what the world is. He wound it up, put it all together, and set it there. And now it's just kind of going. And He's sitting back, and He's as surprised as you and I are um, when like things happen, you know. So He's watching. CNN coverage of the missing airplane just like we are. And he's like, what do you think? Where do you think it is? I don't know. I wish I knew where it was. I'm God, but too bad I don't really know. Um, I, you know, whatever. That's, that's what deism is. It's that God doesn't know everything. He's not involved. He doesn't guide and steer. He's not sovereign. He doesn't know what's, what's coming. He's moment by moment just like we are. That that's what these teenagers were learning in their churches. Um, and actually, the, the study actually points to the fact they were learning that at home from their parents, uh, because they would go to church and they would see all the, hear all these, like hear the gospel and stuff, but then they would go home, watch their parents not live it out. And the conclusion that they would draw is that church is fake, home is real, and that's where therapeutic moralistic deism is actually lived out. Uh, that's a whole other sermon. Um, so, uh, but, but that was their, that's what they were coming away with, you know? It's like, no, man, church is great. makes me feel better. makes me a better person. Um, and I know God created the universe, but you know, he didn't really, it doesn't really impact my daily life. You know? um, now all those teenagers are all in, like, probably in their mid to late 20s now. I'm starting to probably get married and have kids, and now they're going to teach that to their kids. And it's just this really weird, really depressing book. Don't read it. Uh, but um, it, uh, just very, just very eye-opening um, about that, and I think some of it is because when you start to really, when we really look at what Jesus taught, it's brutal, you know. When Jesus says things like, um, "If you want to come after me, that's great. You have to, just, you have to deny yourself." Most people right there, are like, "Nope, you lost me. I deny yourself." I have to deny myself and take up my cross daily. So obedience to the Father, no matter what it costs me. Oof. And then follow Jesus, like imitate him, learn from him, get in the yoke with him, let him break me and build me back up, changing kingdoms in my mind, transforming my life to the point where it doesn't really matter what I want anymore, it's just about him, saying no to all these things that, I th- that bring me like instant pleasure, 
and choosing him over this, and I mean, just, oh. You start to hear that stuff, and there's a rejection that happens. There's a pushback that happens. Um, when he says, like, yeah, unless you, like, there can be no relational attachment that's greater than me. So even your spouse or your kids or your parents or your siblings or even your own life, you can't be more attached to those folks than you are to me. I think people walk away from that. And so for those of us who are in Christ, we've said yes to that. We've said, yeah, that's what I want. And so now we're in this relationship with him, we're in this yoke with him where he's teaching us and we're whatever, and now we're free from the bondage of sin, but now we're also free to like get out of that yoke sometimes and say, not for me. I want you to forgive me. I want to. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. Like I don't. You know, that's all fine. But uh, and for the most part, I'm going to go along with some things. But there are going to be some times when I'm just going to say no. Uh, I'm going to choose my own path here, and I'm going to reject you. And I think that that's where God wants us as a congregation to camp out for the next couple of weeks. Is looking at those times when we do just like verse three, when we despise and reject Him. And we hide our faces from him and we esteem him not. When we look at him and we say, I don't really care what you have to say about this. I think he was ready to grow us up in this. To bring some maturity and whatever. And so it doesn't matter if, if where you are and how long you've walked with him and how much you've learned about this. I think we can all as a blanket say like, no, I have room to grow in this. I have room to grow in my own brokenness and grief over the times when I continue to choose my own way. In the community group material last year, I put this quote that seemed to really hit home with, with people. Um, and it's from John Piper, who um, a lot of times like people like him or whatever. Don't look at it yet. Don't look at it yet. Uh, a lot of times people, <laughs> people hear Piper and they like, are either like, whatever's about to be said is absolutely 100% true, or they just want to walk out. You know, there's like, John Piper is a, kind of a polarizing figure. He's a pastor in uh, somewhere up north and uh, whatever. And so um, if you love Piper, let me just say that you need to filter this. Just so, you got to always filter it. If you can't stand John Piper, just open up to this, okay? Uh, he... I think he's right. In, in this particular case, and I'm not a Piper right, all right? I'm like, I'm not going to, whatever. That's not how I, how I roll. But um, I think he's right in this. And uh, so I'm going to just show you this quote. I'm going to break it into whatever. He's talking about these couple of verses. It says, in other words, his whole demeanor, his style, his view of life and money and possessions and lust and prayer and worship and pride and humility and fear and faith None of it endorsed our own rebellion. Think about that for a second. People want to get close to Jesus and they start to hear stuff and they're like, wait a second, this dude is not telling me I can just go do whatever I want. This guy's telling me I got to deny myself and take up like steps of obedience no matter what it costs me and learn to imitate this guy who, oh, negative, there's no way. That Jesus refuses to endorse our own rebellion. I just think that's so powerful to think about. That Jesus is not going to look at you choosing your own way and be like, hey man, no big deal, it's cool, don't worry about it. 
And Jesus looks at our rebellion and says, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? That Jesus sends the Spirit of God to convict us and to break us because sin is against God's design for us. We sin and we do things that are killing us and putting us back into bondage. And Jesus is not, he's not passive. He's gentle and he's kind, but he's, his like, passivity is not in his like, DNA at all. And that's why when we choose our own way and you're a Christian, there's, there's a heaviness that comes. Because he's refusing to say, it's okay, no big deal. And what happens is, I've used this illustration before as well, like with someone who starts learning to play the guitar and you play about 10 seconds and your whole, your fingers are just killing you because of the strings. Because your flesh is sensitive to that. And there's pain that's there and it's just awful. And every guitar teacher or anybody that's ever played guitar will just say, you got to keep going. you got to keep going because you build up calluses. And sin is the same way where we choose our own way and he is not endorsing our own rebellion. And at first, like, it hurts. But then when you keep choosing and you keep choosing and you keep choosing it, those calluses build up. And then eventually it's just where it doesn't even bother us anymore. And that's a terrible place to be. And that's not a place where he's going to leave us. That's not abundant life. That's not an abiding life. That's not life inside the kingdom. That's not what you were made for. It's not what he died to free us from. And so he's not going to endorse our rebellion. And I think that's why there are some churches in America that are super, super huge because they never talk about this stuff. And there are churches that are smaller like us because God, he's not going to let us get away from this. And people don't want it. It doesn't preach well. It doesn't, it, it doesn't work with your moralistic, therapeutic, deistic perspective on things. It makes you feel bad, you know? It's difficult. It's heavy. And if we camp out too much on the heaviness of sin and behavior, then yeah, it is. It's, it's ridiculously smothering. And that's why we talk so much about grace It's those two chunks of concrete just sinking deeper, pulling one another down. And the depths of that are where he's, that's what he's stirring in us and pushing us forward. Look at the next part of the quote. Um, We didn't feel endorsed around Jesus. He was so lowly and unimpressive that our aspirations for power and reputation felt evil. His happy poverty made our wanting more and more feel foolish. His willingness to suffer for others made our craving for comforts feel selfish. You know, I, I know from my own experience and from just talking with enough people over the years that when you are choosing your own path, you know, like you're intentionally doing that or whatever, the last thing you want to do is like open your Bible sometimes. The last thing you want to do is pray because... Here we are having to compare ourselves to Christ. And it's very exposing of just the weirdness that exists there. So you're like, no, I'm not going to read the Bible. No, I'm not going to pray. No, I'm not going to do this or this or this. We push away from stuff. And I think he wants us 
to learn to see that as rejection of him. Not as like, oh, you're just kind of being a brat. Like, no. You're being a brat. There's a difference. So he, we feel weird around him. Because he's constantly pointing things out. Because he's refining us and he's making us better. He's saying, I died for this and I died for this and I died for this and I died for this. And so the last part of the quote, Piper says, so to protect ourselves, we despised him. It's the self-preservation that we've learned. And so in August or whatever, your preacher gets up and says, hey, we're going to do this different thing with community groups. And we're going to make you talk about your relationship with God. And everybody's like, no, this is awful. And I'm okay with it, (laughs) by the way. Um, But not because, well, because it's obedience. I think we need to be forced into some of those conversations sometimes. And we need to come face to face with the fact that sometimes when we are in, intentionally in, intentionally pushing away from him, it's because it, we're protecting ourselves from conviction. Protecting ourselves from having to confess. From repentance. From the humility that is required in order to say, like, I've been messing up so much. The humility that it takes to ask for help from the Lord, ask for help from our community, so I think the Lord led us to this community group format, and we're still figuring it out and that kind of stuff. It's not a commercial for the thing. I'm just saying this is part of it. We have to acknowledge that sometimes we despise and reject Jesus because he's exposing our rebellion, and we just don't like it. And we kind of feel sometimes like we should be further along than this, you know, and Jesus just deals with, he deals with reality. He's like, don't worry about you should be this or people are going to think this or whatever. This is where you are. Let's deal with where you are. So we get into a circle with people and we talk about how our walks are going. And then we get into the word together and then we talk about the lives we're being sent into. And when you do that week after week after week, I think God makes a Bible study into a family and bring a bunch, all the families together on a Sunday and that's part of what's going on and I think he's shaping us and molding us and this, is, this fits into it. To not be so prideful that we're unwilling to say, you know what, I've been choosing my own way. I've been choosing my own path and I've done it for so long, I don't even care anymore. It doesn't, I don't, I'm not broken over it. I don't repent. I don't confess. I don't pray about it. I just kind of chalk it up to the grace of God. So will you have, will you be humble enough to say that you're calloused to something? You know? Will you say, like, I'm, the path that I keep choosing for myself, I kind of like it. And I just continue to look at Jesus and say, I don't want anything to do with you in this area of life. I still want to go to heaven, and I still want you to guide me in this and this and this and this. But when it comes to this, I, want you to, I, don't, I really don't care what you have to say. 
Will you humble yourself enough to be able to articulate it that way and to look Jesus in the face and say, I've been rejecting you and that's not who I am. So I want to ask you to come on a journey for the next couple weeks of sorts. So this is Lent, you know, and I know a lot of people are, um, are, will give up various things as a form of self-denial and fasting throughout the, the weeks leading up to Easter. I want to ask you to do something that's kind of weird. And um, to, uh, I'm going to ask you to f- like fast from sin, which I know we should be doing that anyway. All right, I get all that, okay. But you probably have something that you've been thinking about as, I, as I've been talking tonight. And there's probably something that is habitual, it's a pattern, it's just a continued whatever in your life. Where if, if posed with the question, in what area of life have you been consistently turning to your own way? This, is what, this, would, be your, this would be your answer. Um, I want to challenge you to, to fast from that. To think of it as fasting, like fasting from food or from TV or whatever, whatever it would be. The same kind of thing. Say, I'm going to fast from this. I'm going to be intentional about choosing not to do that. Saying no to this path. That from now until Easter, we declare that kind of fast. And although we should be doing that all the time, let's admit it. We, we sometimes need to be more organized and intentional and more, more surgical in our approach to dealing with this thing. So let's target something. To fast from that, to refuse to hide your face from Jesus about it. I think that's such a powerful phrase in verse 3 when it says, someone who, like men hid their faces, like, oh, if I do this, you won't see me. You hide your face because you're ashamed, you don't want... That, you know, and here we are at the end of all of our services. What do, we, what do we bless each other with? Lord, make your face to shine upon us. And then we're sitting here hiding our faces from him. So we fast from something from now until then, some, a sinful pattern, and we say, I'm going to refuse to hide from you about this. I'm going to look you in the eye. And as we do that, we're praying, we're asking him to break us. That through the fasting, like a guitar player's calluses, basically you're going to put the guitar down for the next month and you're going to let that skin, like, kind of gross, but let it peel away and let it go back to normal skin, right? And you know what happens when the calluses go away in a guitar player? The next time they pick up a guitar, it hurts like crazy. That's what, I think that's what he wants to do in us. And fasting will do that. It will tender us again. And so we're not going to have you fill out a card or like nail something to a cross or do anything that's going to like put like a physical action to it. It's going to be between you and the Lord. I would encourage you to bring your community in on it, which is going to make some of you feel weird, but I would, I dare you to do that. I dare you to take your community group there on this Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, But I think that God, I think God wants this Lenten season to be deep in this way. So, let me pray for us. Lord, I'm grateful for your grace to us. Your patience and your love that isn't conditioned 
on our response or whatever that I'm thankful that you aren't obsessed with modifying our behavior and like all those things. I'm grateful that you work from the inside out, that you transform us by teaching us how to think differently and for a kind of growth and maturity that is progressive and even if it's super, super, super slow. We thank you that we can just continually entrust ourselves to you as you do the work. And I'm just thankful for the powerful message of grace that you give us through the scriptures. And just on behalf of this family, Lord, I I confess that in varying degrees we have... um, we have allowed that recoil to come where we're a little too light on sin and its impact on us, on you, on our community. And we need, we need to grow in this. We want to grow. We want those tensions to, to both be there. We don't want to just sit around and be burdened and sad all the time. We want that grace and the goodness that comes. And so help us to learn to have both of those held together. And they both lead to just a deeper understanding and the kind of love that you uh, have designed us for to you and to each other. And so on behalf of us all, I just ask for your help. And moving forward, and as we sing, um, just help something really just to come alive in us uh, as we respond to who you are and what you've come to do.